นโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโ
on thoughts of how good we've been that we're going to get all inflated and and um, become puffed up and obnoxious. And well, there is that risk, uh, but we can also be mindful of that risk and still reflect on acts of goodness. And what does it feel like to remember having done something good? What does it feel like when you've done something good? I did something good recently. <laughs> Sounds like I never did anything good. Ajahn Tiradama recently gave me, gave me a box of the most superb Japanese incense. He was invited by these people to go to a conference in Japan, and, uh, and he told me about it. He and his attendant really went out of their way to find an excellent incense shop in Japan, in Kyoto, and they, I think it was, and they found this, this box. And it is just the most beautiful incense. And... I haven't just got a big nose, I've also got a very well-developed olfactory consciousness. Uh, my sense of smell is highly refined, and um, it's got you know, disadvantages as well as advantages. I really do enjoy nice fragrances, and I have a problem with bad ones. So anyway, what I'm sharing with you is that I have this box of really good incense, and I'm terribly attached to it. But recently I had an opportunity to give some away. This thought occurred to me. Well, this person also likes incense. I should share my precious incense. But then there was the impulse and said, well, you know, <laughs> this was hard to come by. And, you know, you, you understand. I'm sure you appreciate what, what might, have, might have gone on for me. But, uh, no, the Buddha encouraged generosity. And, uh, and so I made myself take a, you know, and take a bigger handful. So I took a handful. You should take another one. So well, take another one. So I took another one. Said, well, take another one. Three. The Buddhists always do everything in threes. And, so I took three decent-sized handfuls and kind of wrapped them up in, in you know, a nice gift to give away. Well, of course, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but as a reflection, when I stop and think about it, at the time it wasn't, you know, it wasn't something that I really wanted to do on one level. One part of me didn't want to do it, but another part of me did, and I followed that part. And then now I stop and think about it, I feel really good. It's just that simple. It really is that simple. Now, it, it sometimes maybe it sounds so simple that it's not even worth thinking about, but it, it is worth thinking about that if we want to make our minds bright and our hearts happy, well, we just do good things. And then we reflect on them. Yeah? And, and just be, be careful about that thought that says, oh, no, you know, you're going to become more proud. And that doesn't have to be the case. You know, the effort to be restrained, the effort to be generous, the effort to be restrained when you... You really want to tell somebody what you think of them, especially when they need to be told. You know, in other words, you feel really justified in telling them it. But you, you don't because you, you could hurt them and you restrain yourself. And then afterwards, how do you feel when you think about being restrained? Hmm. It's good. feels good. So uh, cultivating habits of goodness is, is a wise thing to do. And, uh, and as Buddha pointed out, the fruit of goodness is contentment. This is what leads to well-being, and it's something that we can do. We don't have to, we don't have to be wealthy. Uh, we don't have to be powerful. It's something that everybody, absolutely everybody, can do. Today we had the most, uh, the loveliest little ceremony here. That uh, a good friend of the monastery, Noi. Some of you will know how good friend Noi has been coming here for years, along with a bunch of friends, put many months into uh, into organising an almsgiving ceremony. And uh, traditionally in Thai, it's called the Papa. It's kind of like a, an out-of-season katina ceremony. And, and so today, I don't know, 
60 or 70, 70 uh, or so Thai people turned up um, this morning. And it was a, uh, partly it was a, a celebration of the Thai New Year, which happened a, a few days ago. And then it was also a fundraising event because they're well aware that we need funds to um, build and maintain the monastery. And also it was a uh, cultivating harmony ceremony, which uh, some of you may or may not be familiar with. And, and it was just such a beautiful thing to see this ritualized goodness going on. Uh, Ajahn Suang is a, a master of ceremonies and he was really in a flow there with, with the events today. And it, was, it was just wonderful to see this kind of give and take, this cooperation, like a, like a theatre. It was kind of, it's just a beautiful theatre taking place. And, and uh, most of them, or many of them, have been over here for many years and don't have a chance to do this sort of thing, and they you know, really enjoyed it. And, and there was just all this goodness around and happiness. And, and, uh, and I, I was reflecting on it, how, how ritualised goodness is really skillful as well. We have, for instance, there's the, uh, well, the, the New Year ceremony, which, which is uh, about uh, ritualizing the way they bathe the Buddha, they pour water over. You see this arrangement here. You might be wondering what it was. This is where everybody would come up and pour fragrant water over the Buddha image, and then each of the monks would be lined up here, and they would come, they came, all came and, and, and poured water over our hands. And this ritualized bathing and and uh, it also takes place in Thai society where they, they make the same gesture to their teachers and their parents and so on. And, and, um, and then there was the ritualized, as I said, the cultivating concord or cultivating harmony ceremony where it's sometimes done at the new year, it's sometimes done at the beginning of the Wasa period or sometimes it's done because there's been some disharmony well, sometimes it's just done because it's a good way of, of um, creating good feelings. And you go through this ritual together where the lay people say, make these offerings, uh, traditional offerings of, of robes and incense and candles and flowers, and then make this statement together of, of whatever we may have done knowingly or unknowingly by body, speech or mind that has caused any harm of any sort to any being in any direction throughout all time, we ask for forgiveness, done in this ritualized way, but also with feeling. And then the, uh, also then Ajahn Sawang reads out something similar on behalf of the monks, that whatever we might have done by way of body, speech, or mind, intentionally or unintentionally, that's caused any harm, we apologize and we ask for forgiveness. And, and this is just something that you just do in, in Buddhist society. You have these, these rituals. And, and again, just the, 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 the quiet kind of emanation of goodness that comes out of that. You, know, you may or may not be able to think of, of things that you've done that were unskillful or harmful or hurtful, but when you think of having said, oh, I'm, you know, I really regret having done anything, and, and it just feels good. And uh, it's just a very beautiful thing to, to be part of. And, and uh, reminded me of my, my time in Thailand and and what it's like when a, a culture is imbued with with such rituals and such occasions, and and how you know, one could feel uh, some regret for the the dearth of such rituals in our own society. But well, there's no reason why we can't uh, just be mindful of it, and and and, and such things could well emerge. Um, I'm certainly um, keen on on encouraging 
such things when they happen uh, wisely and, and skillfully. And, and to appreciate the power of, of ritual. Uh, sometimes rituals are just uh, dismissed. Uh, the r- word ritual can even be kind of a, a, a negative word. As oh, it's just a meaningless ritual, as if uh, we have to have a re- rational explanation or, or appreciation of everything that we do. And, but well, we still do have rituals, like the ritual of, of shaking hands, you know, and you, I think uh, I think originally it started with, if I'm right, with it was your it was your dagger hand or your sword hand. You know, you, you don't shake hands with your left hand; you shake hands with your right hand. I think this is right. It was the one that you might pull your dagger with or your sword with. But if you want to enable a communication, well, you offer your sword hand to the other person, and this enables the possibility of communication. Or these days, it's uh, it's more uh, everybody hugs each other. Well, not everybody. Um, hugging is a kind of pretty intimate thing to do and uh, sometimes it's appropriate, sometimes it's not appropriate. We monks get all confused about these things because uh, quite a few of us came from uh, the old hippie culture in the 60s and 70s. We all go around hugging everybody and and that was great. But then you become a monk and, well, then obviously, you know, you're not allowed to hug the women, but then some of your old male mates turn up and do you hug, do you not hug? And... Well, if you hug the man, well, then that's not fair for the woman. And but then you don't hug your male friend. And what does that mean? And and then, well, can you pay Anjali? You know, putting hands together in that beautiful gesture of Asia, and, and say, well, are you allowed to pay Anjali? Because uh, in the scriptures, it says that paying Anjali, monks paying Anjali to lay people, uh, brings um, Buddhism into disrepute, which was how it was in the time of India. And there's actually a little minor rule about this that. Lay people pay Anjali to monks, but monks are not allowed to pay Anjali back to them. And they think, well, is that what it means in this society? And we, we've had discussions about this. And I know when the Dalai Lama was in India, and uh, sorry, in Thailand, and you know, when the Dalai Lama travels around, he always tries to fit in and do what's harmonious, and he's generally pretty successful at it. And but he said when he was in Thailand, and he was told that when the lay people pay Anjali to you. You mustn't pay Anjali back because in Thailand this doesn't happen. And so he said, he said, oh, I, I, oh uh, hmm, uh, very difficult. <laughs> Not so easy. <laughs> and uh, he tried for a while and he said, hmm, then, uh, no good, uh, I give up. <laughs> and so then he paid Anjali to everybody. And, but then he probably upset the Thai monks. And so do you pay Anjali, do you not pay Anjali? And so... Well, basically, it's just difficult because sometimes, it, you know, the fact is that if a lay person pays Anjali to the monk, to not pay Anjali back actually feels very rude and uh, it brings the Dhamma into disrepute. And so it's contradicting uh, the rule. And so rituals can also be confusing. They don't always lead to harmony and concord, but they definitely have their place. And today we certainly had a a very beautiful ritual because everybody shared it. You know, everybody was on the same wavelength. And it was just a, a great, lovely occasion and we're very grateful uh, to be part of it. And, and sometime during the day, it um, this gathering reminded me of the verse on last month's calendar page. I don't know how many of you memorize these verses. I put a lot of work into these verses. You might like to know. I don't, I'm not guilt-tripping you here. I just, just 
I probably am a little bit, aren't I? Just want you to know that I do consider these verses very carefully. Um, actually, also Hiriko over here, he helps me, puts hours and hours in, in finding these verses uh, from Ajahn Chah's books this year or the Dhammapada in previous years. And, and um, we find these verses and we match them up with the pictures. And it's, it's a lovely thing to do, but also... Behind it is the, uh, the intention to give people something to really contemplate. Put the calendar up on the wall and you, to read this verse over and over again. And, and last month's verse, some of you might remember, was, uh, it was a lovely picture of Ajahn Chah on arms round. Uh, I think it was in Ubon. And uh, there's a family, a family giving alms food, uh, Saiba, putting food in the arms bowl of Ajahn Chah. And, and the little text underneath was from a teaching of Ajahn Chah, which, which said something along the lines that making offerings, or listening to Dhamma talks, or practicing meditation, whatever we do, we should do for the purpose of cultivating wisdom. And we cultivate wisdom for the sake of liberation. When we're free, then whatever we're doing, we're happy. Whatever situation we're in, we're happy. Something like that. that is, or we're free from suffering. I was reminded of this today, uh, that uh, this ritual almsgiving and, and forgiveness ceremony and cultivating concord and, and so on. These, the offerings of food that were given today and, and donations that were given. These are not, uh, these are not just traditional things that, that happen in that culture. There's wisdom behind this. This is done for the purpose of wisdom. And the wisdom is not, again, it's not just a Buddhist concept. It's not just a good thing. You know, you say, well, that's very wise. It's like saying, well, that's very good. Wisdom, what is wisdom? Wisdom is that which, that word we use for describing the process of becoming free from pain, free from suffering free from limitation. Um, and so wisdom is, is, uh, is essential, wisdom. And, and how, do we, how do we nourish this wisdom? Well, what it was saying, that, you know, cultivating good habits, cultivating goodness, and whether it's the good habit of, of making offerings. Like on Sunday night here, when people bring offerings and put on the offerings table out there. And, uh, and, and today the people coming uh, and making all these offerings is, it's traditional in Buddhist countries that you, know, there's, you don't go to the monastery empty-handed. This is a, you know, it doesn't matter what you take, even if it's a couple of toilet rolls. And I, don't, I, very, I don't think I've ever seen any English people bringing toilet rolls to the monastery, but you can if you like to. I mean, we need toilet rolls. Toilet rolls are a good thing to bring to the monastery. I mean, you might want to bring other things as well, but um, toilet rolls are a good thing to bring. I, I, <laughs> I always found it kind of... Neat when they have in Thailand, you have these big rituals and people come loaded up with toilet rolls. You know, I can't remember, imagine going to church with a bunch of toilet rolls. To give. <laughs> I think that's a great religious ritual, really. <laughs> very practical, you know, very grounded, earthy dhamma. But uh, you could also look on our website. You can say, oh, yeah, I'm going to the monastery on Sunday. And uh, you can look at the kitchen blog. That's the thing to look at. Any of you who haven't noticed the kitchen blog, Jimmy, our kitchen manager, exercises his considerable literary skills um, and, and writes this little weekly report on the comings and going of the kitchen, what happens in the kitchen each week. And it's, it's, it's good reading. Even I like reading it. 
Uh, but he also, more relevant to this discussion, he puts up the dana list. So if any of you are wanting to know well, what's the monastery needing, um, then you can look up. Uh, every Friday night it's renewed. Uh, by request, actually, people asked us and say, you know, could you let us know because we go shopping on Saturday and we come into the monastery on Sunday. So if you are coming and you want to know, well, then you can look up there. And, and, and this is a good practice. You know, this is, and this is not, I'm not just saying this to you because I want you to bring me you know, nice food. I mean, that's, that's probably part of it, but, but, but this is good for you. And this is, it was wonderful, actually. I really enjoyed the way Ajahn Suang, the way he spoke today. I could only understand about 20% of his talk. I'm afraid my tires kind of deteriorated um, in the 25 years I've been here. But uh, he gave a great talk um, because, I, you know, all the people, you could see them smiling, they were happy. But also there were some things that he did say that I could understand and he was talking about this thing of, of being generous and, you know, cultivating goodness and the act of generosity. And basically, you know, people, the Thai people, they don't come here to just do this to please us. They do this because they know, I mean, they're educated to know that actually when you cultivate goodness, this leads on to something else. You know, this is good for them. This is good for them to do this. You know, they, they don't, they, they're actually the cultivation of merit it's their merit that they're cultivating. And, you know, probably a lot of us uh, you know, don't spend a lot of time thinking about the subject of merit, uh, punya, but the Buddha certainly spoke about it a lot. And, and because it's, it's it basically it's that, that energy, that force, that again, like what I was saying about wisdom, this is what enables the process. You, know, uh, you can... You can you know, to use a materialistic uh, comparison, you can, you can talk about trying to start a business without any capital. It's just not possible. Mm-hmm. Or you can talk about transforming carbon dust into diamonds yeah. without a tremendous amount of heat and pressure. It's just not possible. It doesn't matter how much you might want that carbon dust to become diamonds. You know, wanting it's not enough. There's going to be tremendous pressure, tremendous heat. There's going to be this build-up of potential. Nothing's happening at the moment, nothing's happening because it's still building up and building up. But then when there's the right conditions, when there's a container and there's the heat and there's the pressure, all there ready, then something happens. And this is one way of understanding the process of transformation or purification of the heart, that these conditions need to be cultivated, generated. And uh, and with this, uh, the cultivation of punya or merit or goodness uh, we're not just doing these things to become good people. You know, that's like, for instance, going to work and, and earning a lot of money and, and just leaving it in the bank. I mean, what a waste of time. I mean, the bank manager might think that's okay, but as far as you're concerned, that's a complete waste, isn't it? I mean, you put money in the bank until you start to use it so that you have a good time with it. I mean, money's there to you know get old and you need some help and you need some medicine, you need some protection when you get vulnerable or you just want a break and so you can go off somewhere nice but uh, storing up the potential is just that's just part of the life and outwardly we understand this, well a lot of the spiritual teachings about are coming to appreciate this inwardly, this dynamic inwardly and the cultivation of goodness, of conventional happiness 
You know, just remembering conventional things like giving away things that you perhaps find difficult to give away, but just making a practice of cultivating generosity, uh, cultivating the habit of listening to Dhamma, cultivating the habit of meditation. These, you know, we don't want to preach it ourselves about and say, oh, if I was, you know. But on the other hand, we can also say, well, yeah, we can. This, this, this habit thing works for us. You know, if you just get into a habit, it becomes easy. You know, like we teach children to be, to express gratitude, don't we? You know, children get, receive something, you teach them to say thank you. Why are you doing that? Why do parents teach children to say thank you? It's obvious, isn't it? Because you want them to develop the habit of being appreciative. Because we know that appreciation leads to ongoing cultivation of goodness and well-being for everybody. And well, just as we know that's good for children, well, we can also reflect that it's good for us. And, and so habits of generosity, habits of listening to Dhamma, you know, as talking to uh, Ajahn Abhinandu, as we were checking in with each other, haven't seen each other for a while, and he's just come back from overseas where he's been teaching and talking comparing notes of people we meet and so on and so forth. He's talking about somebody he knows who, who has this ritual of just regularly, uh, every night, you know, a certain time, got time aside to study Dhamma. This is a regular practice, you know, whether it's reading Dhamma books or listening to Dhamma tapes. And it's like a ritual for him. And a regular time for meditation. We can, we can put time aside. And, and if we do this, initially it takes a while to get it going, but once it becomes a ritual, it becomes the whole body-mind learns. And then it's really easy. And then it's like the, the goodness is just, just flowing. So the point I was trying to make there was that uh, we're not cultivating goodness just to become good people. But, for instance, this, like the goodness of generosity, it's the force of selflessness that's really being cultivated. Giving, for instance, something that you don't want, well, that's not very difficult, is it? You know, actually, <laughs> that reminds me that you know, when I, I thought about offering some incense to this person, I thought, well, actually, I don't have to give this my best one. I could give this one, which actually I kind of don't like, really. <laughs> it's nice. It's a nice package. You know, they probably like it. <laughs> and then the, you know, the better part of me just says, no, no, that's no, not. You know, giving away something you don't like is not, that's not beautiful, is it? That's really easy. <laughs> so it takes effort, to, you know, it takes effort to give away something that you care for. But, you know what? You know the thing we care for, the thing we're attached to most? What is it? Me. Me, that's the thing that I, I'm most attached to and I care about most. You know, more than anything else in the world, you included. You know, I care about me. <laughs> you know, it's embarrassing, but it's the truth. And, and it's so painful to be locked into that habit of being so concerned about me. It's not beautiful. And yet, you can philosophize and rationalize and even want to drop this obsession of being invested in me all the time, but it doesn't work, does it? You know, we know every New Year's Eve we make these resolutions and giving up my bad habits and just wanting to doesn't do it. 
But if there's the appropriate force of goodness, like this is what this is the force behind generosity, you know, the habit of giving. You know, we teach children to give because there's something within us knows that it's give. Good to give. Every time we give away something we value, we give away a little bit of me. And then in meditation, meditation we start to see the benefit. You know, you, when you're getting subtle and and in uh, and practice and and we feel the painful dynamic, the contraction of the body, the energetic constriction of the heart, the mental obsession of the mind, of meanness, this kind of sticky swamp of meanness. If there's a momentum that's countering that, that's a resource. That's valuable, that's precious. You know? If we can appreciate that, we say, okay, yeah, well, this is the wisdom of dana. This is the wisdom of the Buddha's teaching. This is not just about some kind of traditional practice in some culture or or just a nice thing to do that good people practice. No, no, there's a wisdom in this. And this is the wisdom that leads to liberation. So if we're really interested in the the pursuit of real pleasure, real happiness, which is the happiness of liberation, which is the happiness of being freed from self-obsession, if that's what we're interested in, well, we exercise our contemplation, we exercise the abilities we have to to dwell on the things that bring this about. You know. We can dwell on other things. We all know that it's easy to dwell on the things that we want, that, you know, we, uh, that we don't really need. You know, you can dwell on fantasies of how things could have been otherwise. That's very easy. You know. uh, interesting, I, uh, I went... A few days ago, Jimmy and I again had a, a reason to go into Newcastle and and we went into a shop together. And uncharacteristically, I find, because generally I find most of the people in, in the shops in Newcastle really helpful and, and really nice. And, but uncharacteristically, there's this one man there who was just so extraordinarily unhelpful. I thought, how does this business place do any business? I mean... Yeah, that was my first thought. I said, well, certainly I'm not coming back to do business with these people again. In fact, I'll tell other people not to go and do business with them. Such unhelpful, unwholesome thoughts. I kind of put a stop to them pretty quickly. I thought, actually, that evening when I came to sit meditation, they were still there. And, uh, and Jimmy, how do you treat Jimmy? How do you? <laughs> my rights. I've got a right to be treated. <laughs> you know, the kind of thought. I mean, telling you these things, I don't want you to think that I've got a totally unwholesome mind, but just to let you know that we deal with these things as well. We're all in this together, really. I just, you just realize that you can dwell on that. You've got a choice. We've got a choice. I had a choice. I can dwell on that. I'm perfectly capable of dwelling on feeling that I was treated unjustly. Do I want to dwell on that? No. Can I choose to not dwell on that? Well... <laughs> it depends on how much I'm invested in me, you know, how stuck I am in the swamp of meanness. That meanness swamp is really sticky. But it can also be very interesting. And the good news about being able to, you know, of coming across something like this when such things happen, the good news is that we don't have to get judgmental, we just get interested. We just get interested and say, yeah, this is interesting, this... This, this momentum of 
of, of dwelling on things that are no help, no, no good to me. Yeah, that's really unskillful. That's, that's just not a good way to be. It's actually inspiring. I find it inspiring to think, well, I've got this choice. I can also dwell on things that are really helpful. And that uplifts the heart. So, you know, even when something, you know, you come across your limitations, your lack of generosity, your lack of motivation to, to listen to Dhamma or read Dhamma books, or your lack of motivation to meditate. And even when we come across these things, we're not feeling so good about ourselves. That's fine. That's still good practice. So long as we have the here and now, body, mind, judgment-free awareness, we can get interested in that. And we can turn it around, and it takes us to the cultivation of goodness. And the goodness that leads to the real happiness, the happiness that comes from liberation. So, thank you very much this evening for your attention. Mm. Mm.